We got Boom, and we're live. Good afternoon, Chris. Good afternoon. Good, All right. good Monday. Yeah, good Monday. So I am super excited because we have Carlos here. Carlos Diaz. Los. Good Monday, people. <laughs> good Monday. So I'm excited. We have some construction in the background, but we're re- renovating the gym here. But Carlos, I'm happy you're here because... I've seen you multiple times, but we've never gotten to sit down and actually talk. No, we have not. We it's it's very it's always passing in the it's night. It's always in passings <laughs> or you know a training session or a little talk here and there, but never got a chance to really chit chat and you know. Shoot yeah, the and, and I know that like the only thing I know about you is that I'm handsome well, and well that well, super well, yeah, smart. Yeah, yeah. yeah, besides that, and the best referee I know ever, and the best ever. Is that you were down? You met Paul back in the day, back when he was training at Coconut Creek under Labor. Or back when I he was actually fighting. met Paul. Yeah, tell he's not yeah, here. Yeah, he's not here. Go ahead. Go, go. At a strip club? <laughs> before he got his, let me put it like this before he got his first black belt. Okay. Well, not now. <laughs> Elaborate. Elaborate. <laughs> Hang on. Is this sacred? Are we allowed to talk about it? And uh, I don't know. You're going to have to ask Paul about that. But this, um, this is the but, guess we've been waiting for. But, but you know what? I, I Yeah, I've known Paul since yeah, late 90s probably. Oh, my okay. gosh. So, you know, he used to come down. I mean, and actually before he used to come down to Fort Lauderdale area and train down at, at, at ATT, I knew Dean through the MMA scene in the state. And um, and I actually refereed one of Paul's grappling matches at a tournament that, oh my gosh, Ross, Ross Kelly in Lakeland. Yeah, okay, so I got it right. Somebody holler, hollered in the back <laughs> that it, he d- did an event together with uh, the, um, Jamie Levine and I refereed at that event. It was the first time I saw Paul. Grappling or MMA? It was just grappling okay. at the time. Right. And uh, and then um, I went to corner some guys at another MMA event when the Silver Spurs in Kissimmee was dirt and hay. Oh, oh my no. god! <laughs> but it was a farm basically out there. Yes, no, well, I mean it was a rodeo. Like it was a rodeo grounds. Yeah. That's wow. right. It was called the Silver Spurs Rodeo Grounds, yeah. not a. So they not not like, arena. They yeah. have rodeos, but they have like county fairs there and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, yeah, like Kissimmee's like cowboys no, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah, I, so. I get that. No, I, I mean, I was, I was in Florida. I mean, I've been in Florida in the '90s, and I remember that whole I four Carter was nothing. And yeah, now I mean, it's like well, Kissimmee now is called Puerto Rico second floor, but <laughs> is it really? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Coors Light out there. A lot of Coors <laughs> Light. So um, let let let's go start back at the beginning. So how did you get into jujitsu yeah, and combat sports? Because I don't know your background on right. That. So I got into combat. My mother got me into combat sports when I was really young. I started judo when I was probably three four years old. Oh and my god! Where did you where did you grow up? It's a good age. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Okay. And I did boxing for some time. I, I did a lot of judo. I actually. Uh, qualified to go to the Junior Pan Americans. Okay. Really? So how long did you train uh, judo? Oh, geez. If I tell you how old, you know how long I've been training judo, and I already told you that I started when I was three, three or yeah. four, I'll be dating myself, <laughs> and that's a lot of moons, man. Okay. Um, no, but you know I stopped for a long time. Then I did judo when I, when I was in the Marine Corps. Um, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I started looking for something to do, you know, martial arts related. So you're like in your mid-20s at this point? At this point, I was, yes, in my mid-20s. Okay. And, um, 
And my judo at that time was on and off. I was very consistent in my late teens until I moved out of Puerto Rico. And, um, and then I stopped for several years. I did some when I was in the Marines. Then I stopped for some time. And then one time I was at a gym, at a regular fitness gym. And I saw a guy with a Carlson Gracie t-shirt. And he happens to be the general manager at American Top Team today. His name is Richie Guerrero. Everybody calls okay. him Puma. Oh, Puma. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And he was the one that I asked. And I asked, hey, man, where do you train? And he goes, well, I train with Conan Silveda down in South Beach. Oh. This is 95, 96-ish. Um, no, it had to be 96 for sure. Now, were you aware of like jiu-jitsu? Yeah, I was like, yes, I time. did. Because my first experience with jiu-jitsu was UFC 3. Okay, so okay. you're already following it at that right. point. Right, and, okay. and you know, UFC 3 was in North Carolina. And was that a couple Shamrock of us, Severin? No, that was uh, no. Steve Genom one. Yes, one. Steve Genom. Yeah. Okay. That's the guy that is like, if you're going to come on, come on. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, Steve Genom was the alternate who won because Chemo. Chemo got injured. No, no, uh, Hoist beat Chemo. Man, I was, I, was, I was like, Three sheets to the wind back then, <laughs> so I really don't remember half the event. Yeah. But I do remember this this tall, lanky dude, and he wore a gi. And again, I didn't know what jiu-jitsu was back then, but I knew he wore a gi, so I knew judo. And I was like, that's a judoka. That dude is badass. You see, I told you guys, yeah. we were the freaking best. And I was, again, I was inebriated. <laughs> and um, and it was, But when, when I got out, you know, when I asked Richie, he told me, how oh, I trained at Conan Silveda, and I was South Beach from where I lived. I lived in Fort Lauderdale area. It's a good hour away. And he's all like, well, there's a guy named Pablo Popovich. Okay. Oh, man. All the names. Oh, my God. He's dropping all the names. Well, here, the problem is, is back then, Nobody there was only was. a handful of people. It wasn't not like now that yeah, you yeah. drive five minutes and you find a jiu-jitsu school with, sure. a, with a decent instructor. Back then, there was only really a handful of guys. So... You know, he told me, if you want to go to South Beach, I was like, oh, man, I know who Conan, I've heard of Conan Silveda, I'm going to go to South Beach. I don't care mm -hmm. driving. So I did the drive, and that was entertaining because, man, that training was hardcore. It's just very different, you know. At the time, if you wanted to train, you train. It was, you, you, they were not catering to the general public. You right. know? They, they were all, and I, Paul's even said this, at, at that time, it was fighters. It was by fighters. One hundred percent. So, they did would, you have aspirations to fight, or you wanted to further your judo career? No, or? I wanted to get better with the gi. And at the time, I knew a handful of places for judo, and I was already training with some guys that today they 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 are they run the national training center here in oh, South really? Florida. Okay. Johnny Prado. Mm -hmm. um, they run Kitsusai Judo Club in Coconut Creek now, but. Again, back then, we were training in his garage, and at a park in Coral Springs, they would bring mats. We rented a gazebo for like $10 a day, roll the mats, and we did work there. Um, but anywho, so, so I, that's, that was my intent. After watching, and again, I'm dating myself, after watching a bunch of UFC on VHS, oh, um, so you know we're, we're all of that <laughs> laser disc and yeah, eight track like, yeah. you know? we're, 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 <laughs> listen okay. real talk my mom's first tr car had an eight track there you go so <laughs> and i still remember it it was a datsun 210 oh my god a datsun a datsun so yeah um but i went down to conan's and it just it didn't click at the time because with my work and school schedule i was going out in college at the time it just didn't work out 
but I went to Popovich and he had just opened the location on Commercial Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale, near Fort Lauderdale by the beach. And that was a 20, 30 minute drive from where I lived at the time. So that's who I started really formally training mm. with, with Pablo and George Popovich. And was this uh, strictly in the gi or were you also doing no gi? So again, back then it was Monday through Friday, it was gi. Yeah. And no gi training was very sporadic. It was Saturdays maybe, and then if if and if Pablo had a match coming up, then we would take the gi top off and just train that way. Wow. So what was that like? Like what was Pablo like? It was that? tough, man. You know, at the time when I started, Pablo was still a purple belt. No. But he was not just your average yeah, not the, purple yeah, belt. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're talking about world You know, the kid Pablo and Martin, I don't yeah. know if a lot of people know this. Like, his mother's maiden name is Gracie. Oh, really? Right. So, you know, he, you know, his dad was best friends with Halls Gracie. You know, he was good friends Wait, with Halls Gracie. Halls Gracie? Yeah, the, like the Halls the, Gracie. Really? The one that died in the hang yeah, gliding yeah, accident. Like, yeah. So, he was born, Pablo was born on the mats, yeah, you know, yeah. virtually. So, he was not just your average perp. And then he's always been, like, gymnast built athletic. Um, yeah, he must have been fairly young. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, again, he was still a purple belt. Yeah, yeah, Actually, like, he, when I started training with him, maybe not even a year after, it was the Pan Ams, and they happened in Miami. I don't remember what year, 98, 97. And um, Pablo won, I, I want to say he did won the purple belt, his division mm -hmm. at the Pan Ams. Marcelo Silveira competed, uh, Nino Shembri competed oh. there. Uh, Marcos Pajumpiña da Mata. It was like the match of the night, the finals, him and Hoyler Gracie. Wow. So, oh, wow. You know. The, this is like golden age. Right. I mean, really? Yeah, so that's awesome. These are, these are all these legends of the sport. I mean, I, I mean, I remember Nino Shembri. They were calling his name and nobody could find him. And he was out on the balcony <laughs> hanging out with some people. And <laughs> runs awesome. to the mat, you know, just kind of like. His gear is all messed up, and he just throws it on, runs in there, and just almost platas triangles the dude in like less than a minute, and runs back out and hang out with his friends <laughs> and do his thing. And it was amazing to see that, you know. And then you saw some people like they're super disciplined, and, and they're just on the mat warming up. And uh, but that was my first experience. Pablo was a purple belt. What belt were you at the time? I was a white belt. Okay, so you're. But again, I wasn't not a regular white belt yeah, because yeah, I had a had, judo background. Time. So I asked Pablo's dad, George Popovich, "Can I enter? I'll go in as a blue belt. I don't care." He's like, "No, they're gonna destroy you. You might be able to take him down, but it's a whole different world. I, I don't care." And I wanted to compete a lot back then, and um, but he, George Popovich talked me out of it, so I never competed at that Pan Ams. Um, then after that. You know, it kind of like the Pan Am started moving around. They, they got, I think they did the next one in Brazil. And then eventually the next one, I was already a purple belt in 99. Yep, that was 99 or 2000. Shoot, I don't remember exactly now. But it was, it was heat, well, yeah, it was in uh, the Kissimmee Civic Center. Okay. Okay. And um, I took... I took second in my division, and then I did the open, won my first match, and I lost my second match to Andre Galvao. How about that? Man, he ran a train on me. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna claim the foot sweep, but I think he just pulled guard <laughs> and then swept me 
mounted, took my bag, and chucked me unconscious. Like I literally would not tap. I was just like, eh, whatever. I'll, I'll. So take how old it. was he at the time? He was at what? He probably 20, 19, 19, 18 years oh old. My gosh. Yeah, he was. He was a young cat back then. Damn. Uh, but that's that was my starting. You know, I, and I had some intentions on fighting MMA at some point. Uh, and when I really started focusing more on boxing and no gi stuff, it just happened that way that I be I started helping to manage some of the pro teams, and we were still not officially American top team. Um, I left when I left Pablo Popovich. We had some disagreement in administration and me. Um, Minotauro Nogueira had just moved to Florida. He opened a gym in the Fort Lauderdale area. I trained with him for a little time. And that's when I started training. I broke my wrist during training for one of the fights that I had scheduled. Um, and then shortly after, Minotauro went back to Brazil to BTT mm. uh, and closed the academy. So then I moved. I, I was kind of like running. I would go to high school wrestling clubs and just train a little with those guys and i had uh, two other friends with me that were kind of like on the same boat um they just wanted to supplement their training yeah and that's you know that's what pretty much what i did and the only training jujitsu that i did was with th with them uh but and what then, belt were you at the time then i uh this is probably 2000 2000 that year of 2000 2001 time frame mm -hmm. And um, and so you don't have like a coach then at that point. No, I yeah. didn't because again, I did. I, I was with Pablo Popovich yeah, for yeah. like three years, and again, I still, I still to this day, I saw Pablo maybe two years ago, mm -hmm. and you know, if I'm not mistaken, he lives in Abu Dhabi now. Oh, does he really? Yeah, and I love and respect the guy. I I, I have a great deal of respect for him, but we just had a business disagreement. Um, so he he was the one that belted you up from white to purple to white to blue white to, to blue. blue okay blue right okay um, and then uh, I got my purple belt officially under Marcelo Silveira okay which is Conan's brother yeah okay and and that's in South Florida too and that, yes yeah, yeah. yeah I I got all my belts while I was living down there in okay. South Florida and that's and ATT doesn't exist yet my per no yes at this time when I got my purple belt. American Top Team, we had just begun. Okay. Okay. Uh, we were not even three months into it. Wow. So, um, so I was, again, I was kind of like a little bit of a Ronin for some time yeah. until a good friend of mine, and he's a very well-known manager for MMA fighters, Alex Davis. Oh, yeah. um, he's the dude who's always standing next to the Brazilians. Right. Well, he's, right? you know, <laughs> if you see him, he looks, you know, he's a typical white dude. He looks like a Texan dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His like, father like is, I believe he's from right? Texas. Like, his name, Alex Davis. But he was born and lived in Brazil most of his time. Oh, really? Yeah. So he's And, and how did you befriend him by way of jiu-jitsu, purely? Because yeah. of Jamie Levine. Oh, okay. So um, he actually also gave me my first official job in the MMA world. They needed somebody to be the timekeeper and do some errands for an event called WEF, and I want to say five, At is the, uh, when Jeremy Moore fought uh, Minotauro Noguera. Uh, Matt Hughes fought, um, I want to say it was Pele Landi. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Pa um, Pat Militich fought George Pereira. Renato Babalu fought versus Charles Kohler. 
Aaron Riley fought on that card. Actually, I think Aaron Riley was on the undercard. Um, but, I mean, it was at the time. It's like now we look at this event. Yeah, these are Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Well, like. it was literally in like BFE, Rome, Georgia, in a town called Rome in Georgia, about another hour north of Atlanta. And uh, I think we might have gotten maybe 1,000, 1,500 people at that stadium. And all these were today Hall of Famers and legends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of a mixed martial arts so i drove up and i worked the event and i helped out throughout a bunch of different things but the convenience is i speak english and spanish obviously spanish is my first language but i was able to pick up portuguese fairly well and very quickly again i spent an insane amount of time with pablo popovich and his family i mean to me we were i was kind of you know part of the family You know, the mom and the dad would invite me for dinner over after training. You know, I always gave Pablo extra rounds when he wanted, even though I was dying. But, you know, I tried my best. And um, so I was... You said Matt Hughes fought uh, Jorge Pereira? Was it Matt Hughes? I thought no, Matt Hughes fought Pele Landi. Or Matt Hughes fought George Pereira. Which one? No, Matt Hughes fought George Pereira. Okay, so that was World Extreme Fighting. Yeah, yes, correct. Yeah. I'm, WEF. I'm confusing with AFC. Yeah. Which is, yeah. That's the, those are the ones held in South Florida. Yep, that was it, January of 2000. I just That's had it. Wow. January 2000. So this is all when UFC's dark, too, right? Like UFC was, was relative, actually under Semaphore Group. Yeah, SEG, right? Like SEG, it wasn't even. Semaphore Entertainment Group. And they were doing small shows in Alabama. And WEF at the time was actually a fairly And WEF good actually competitor. was the major competition of the UFC. That's awesome. I mean, we had so King of the Cage in the West. Yeah, oh, yeah, pre Zufa. Oh, way yeah, pre Zufa. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay. I mean, this is maybe, what, five, six years pre Zufa. So you were your first job with him, Timekeeper. Timekeeper and, uh, and chauffeur. And chauffeur. That's <laughs> like, right. Man, I've, I've, you know, listen, I, I've done it all. I've been the guy getting the coffee. And I've been a promoter myself, and I've been a referee. I've, I, I cannot think of a particular job, whether it's MMA or jiu-jitsu events, that I probably have not done. And again, that's not tooting my horn. That's just facts, just being around for a minute. How did you... Um, so did you further your MMA behind-the-scenes career with WEF and stick with them for a little bit? Or? I did a couple of times, but then... Um, an organization came about in the mid, uh, actually it wouldn't be mid 2000s, but around 2005. Um, and that's really when I started getting a lot more involved. Um, let me take two steps back because in 2001, the absolute fighting championship is an event that I became the coordinator and slash promoter. Oh, um, you were promoting this? Yes. Oh, really? We were the first licensed event in the state of Florida. Um, but before that, you know, the events were not, there was not a, an athletic commission. You didn't have yeah, to It wasn't go. like sanctioned. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, we were the first event to, to be legally all completely like that in, on the books. And I was, uh, I was, my license actually was the matchmaker. But yeah. again, you know, there's I, I wore, a specific you wore a lot license. of hats. <laughs> yes. You wore a lot of different so hats. You, <laughs> so just out of curiosity, what made you take this step and the leap from becoming the behind the scenes guy to the I want to promote a show now? I enjoyed it. 
I I enjoy I truly I truly enjoy doing all of those things. You know, I I have fun. You get the best seat in the house, you know? And and it is stressful, but when when the event is done and it has really completed and you you look back and you say, "Wow, that was really cool. We we did a good job." And again, putting myself in the athlete's position, I try to put myself as a spectator as well. I try to make, I try to fulfill the necessities for all those people. Not just the promoter put the event, let's try to make some money. Right. You know, I really want to make the event entertaining for the spectators and of value to the participants. Why should I come to your event? I put myself in those shoes and I try to. And you have the experience being in all those different shoes. Correct. So you understand. Right. And I've been in all those shoes. I've been a fan. I've competed myself. I've fought MMA myself. So, you know, I I look at the aspects. What can I I do better? And I try to do the best that I can. um, So you said you competed in MMA also. Did you. Did you not love fighting? Or, like, like, just out of curiosity? I'll be 48 in less than a month. Are you really? So, yeah. You know, it, your body doesn't, after a certain age, your body doesn't heal the same. And, you know, with with other priorities, you know, jiu-jitsu and MMA kind of took a step back for many, you know, for a long time, you know, I really did not train at all. Okay. You know, I, I would coach, you know, but I wasn't training. It, 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 it takes a toll to be a good coach. And I took, you know, and I also pat myself on the shoulder about it because I took two guys that had very little experience and we went from zero and both of these guys fought in the UFC. That's awesome. So, I mean, homegrown from the get-go. You know, they they, they could do a Kimura because they learned it in YouTube, <laughs> but it was terrible, you know? And we went from that point that we're both fair. They did okay. They Obviously, they're still... If you made it to the UFC, UFC you're good. They I, made I it mean, to the I'm UFC fair, right? through the you know, low-level events. Yeah, you were able to yeah. develop those guys. Yeah. So I enjoy that, but, uh, you know, and and the other thing, man, getting punched in the face is not for me. It sucks. <laughs> it know? sucks, right? Like You know, I did it in boxing when I was a kid. You know, I boxed for a while, and then when I was training, I, I would train with the MMA team, you know, and I remember one day, the day that I said, nah, I don't think I want to do this, I was training with Dennis Kang. Oh, oh really? My God. Really? And <laughs> well, that, that was well. Here's the thing, though. We were doing okay, and it was one of the we called it bloqueo, and one of the hard sparring days. And Paul would tell you about bloqueo days. People would go and shaking because it was hard sparring, and you know, you know, it was Dennis gonna Kang it was gonna him. suck. Dude, he had power. And the first round, it was a good round. It was me and Dennis. We had shin guards, big gloves. And it was the okay round. Man, the second round, Dennis turned it up. I started getting tired. I threw a kick. He took me down. And for the next, it felt like an eternity. <laughs> I was eating Canadian-Korean fish sandwiches <laughs> left and right. I, it was sucked. And I was just like, man, I was already in my 30-something. I was like, I'm okay. You know, I can do jujitsu forever. Yeah. I cannot be eating these punches from a D. And this is when real D1 level athletes, like high level athletes, started coming into the scene. Because yeah. there was a period of time that you had 
good athletes. But you can go back and look at the first three UFCs and look at the last three UFCs oh, yeah, yeah. and just the physicality alone and the level of athleticism. It's a whole different world. And, um, yeah, and that's kind of when I said, yeah, I'm going to take a step back to this. You know? And I still kept training, but I was not as active. I took a couple of fights when I lived in the Midwest. And I did it more for my students because when I opened the gym in the Midwest, nobody knew me. Um, so a lot of the guys are like, oh, coach, we want to see you. And I said, okay. So I took a couple of fights in Indiana and Chicago. What brought you to uh, the Midwest? Um, my daughter's mother. We, in the 2008s, I had moved out of the States mm -hmm. for some time. Uh, for work when we came back we decided you know where can we we can go back to florida uh we we have a good network of people there but let's start something new somewhere very different and she's originally from indiana so we picked indiana and how does somebody who is born in puerto rico challenging that's <laughs> and the one single word welcome to snow man yeah, how, how do you like, like shoveling snow i don't mind the snow but Midwest winter is very different than... It's gray and dark. Oh, man, yeah. it, you got to take that vitamin D, brother. It hurts. <laughs> Listen, you're not supposed to be anywhere where the wind hurts you. <laughs> you know? Humans aren't meant for that, right? It's not, man. You know? But you know what? It, I, I, have some, I have some rough times. I have some really good times. Um, Midwest winters, man, they suck. And this is why, and I am sure, this is why Midwest people are so freaking tough. Oh, yeah, you know, like you get wrestling. There's good wrestling in the Midwest because it's indoor sport. So you can't play basketball, from, uh, man. Oh, from man. November to March, guess what? Your ass wants to be indoors, man. <laughs> and he, it's just that's how you get tough, man. And those guys, and again, there's a certain thing about you know that work ethic that country folk oh, have, yeah. you mm -hmm. know. And it's just you, you know, I had a kid actually, ah, uh, man. Bo Butler is his name. And just this is a kid from. That sounds like a Midwestern. He's a hardcore. <laughs> I mean, if you ever saw him, he's about a Midwestern as he looks. And he looks like his name. He's a big, square, husky, 200 pounds, big block head. He looks like a pit bull all jacked up on, on one of those Jacko pre workouts. <laughs> and he was a stud, stud, state level wrestler. Um, but again, it's, it's just, you know. You're supposed to work hard. Not necessarily always smart, but you bust your ass so you can give no more, and yeah. then you give some more. What did you find the... Um, I'll just use jujitsu and, and MMA scene synonymously, but what was that scene like when in that Midwestern town when you that, moved up there? Yeah, yeah, when you moved up there. Obviously, well, it's different it's now. It's changed. Like. Right. It's been, it's been 11 years, you know, when I first moved to, to Indiana. But uh, it was very different. I remember there was this one event, one of the first events that I went to in Indiana, where the promoter offered an extra $500 if you can throw somebody over the cage. <laughs> so this is an all-nonsense stuff, right? This <laughs> is legit, as real as real gets. I mean, the, we were at the rules meeting. I actually refereed this event, and the promoter asked me to referee because he knew me, and, you know, and I said, okay, sure, I'll referee the event. Um, there was no sanctioning, no commission. And during the middle, you know, I give the rules meeting. This is what is expected. This is what it's allowed and not, blah, blah, blah. And the promoter, hey, by the way, nobody, nobody leaves. And, uh, I'm, you know, 
takes out a wide $500 cash. He goes, if you can throw your opponent over the cage, I'll give you an extra 500 bucks. And everybody is like, is this for real? This shows you had to pay off. He, for like he was, yeah, yeah, like, and he was very, window, right? he like, was very serious about it. He genuinely offered an extra five hundred bucks if you could throw your opponent over the cage. But <laughs> was this cage the same size as what we typically six foot six foot fence? Wow! Oh my god! <laughs> but you have to understand. Again, we're in the mid. At this actually was in Lafayette, Indiana. Purdue University is right there, and you like have some of the best wrestlers yeah, in the nation yeah, yeah. there. So it's a couple of the guys competed there. You know, actually, one of the coaches with Big Tom Erickson was across. Really? The yeah, man. Oh wow! The, big like, Tom big, Erickson big cat, was the right? heavyweight coach for Purdue University, or is probably still. That's, That's crazy. So, so just to circle back to the jujitsu for a second, um, you said you you know you took some time off from training. How did that progression go from purple to brown to black? And where were you where were you training? And where did you get belted up? So, so as a purple belt, in my opinion. As an athlete, purple belt and brown was my best time. Okay. As an athlete, that was my best time. I was in decent shape. Um, you know, I would compete. I would do a 10-minute rounds. It was nothing for us because, you know, one of the things is that we did is we did really long rounds. Well, that's one of the – for some reason, I don't know why most gyms you go now, you know, people time is six minutes. And I understand time constriction to serve more people. Yeah, but you know we were doing ten round, ten minute rounds was normal. Okay, that was just the average round for us. Then it's like, okay, guys, we're doing extra long minute rounds. We're doing 15, 20 minute rounds. And you could ask Paul when we started American Top Team was at a at a Taekwondo academy that was really small place called Boca Black Belt Academy. That and sounds was, like such a Taekwondo academy. It, oh, <laughs> like that guy, <laughs> hardcore. But um, if if, if I say that that place was 600 square feet total, I'm probably being extremely generous. So this is ATT version 1.0. Version 0. .01. <laughs> um, and, you know, Saturdays was the no-gi day, and you would have 20, 25 guys in there training no-gi, oh no air conditioner. They would just open one door in the back end, one door in the front end, and let's go. And it was a slip and slide. And, you know, this is the days where it was appropriate to train Nogi MMA on the Speedo shorts. Yeah, the little, oh, yeah. The little weenie wraps. You know, it, it was. <laughs> yeah. Wow, so, you know, it, it was fun and it was. But for me, that was my best time because we trained so much. So you were doing. And who are you MMA training under at this time? At this time, I started training. Well, uh, this is when I had left. You know, well, not I didn't leave. Uh, Minotauro Nogueira had moved back to Brazil. Okay. Um, and I started training with Marcelo Silveira uh -huh. at Bo a Boca Black Belt Academy. And he's the one who gave you your purple. And he's... And my brown belt. And, and it's brown considered belt, okay. ATT at this and point? At this point, was not considered ATT. It was called Silveira Brothers. The jiu-jitsu part of the Taekwondo Academy was Silveira Brothers, which is Marcelo Silveira and Conan Silveira. Okay. Okay. So and Conan had his academy down in South Miami. Um, 
at a gym called the Zone Fitness. So every other Saturday, we would either either drive there, down they or they come. would come up. Gotcha. So then you'd have so you to are, are you guys are just renting space from places at this point. You're at, not the, even at the beginning, yes, that's that's how it originally started, yeah. and then eventually, um, you know, and everybody knows Dan Lambert, who's the owner of American Top Team. You know, he we acquired the first location, and by this time. I was really assisting, you know, running the daily operations of the gym, doing some of the marketing, helping with the management of a lot of the fighters, uh, contacting a lot of the promoters, and I'm talking about Scott Coker. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, so so you're doing the, a lot of the front office. You're stuff. the right. op, you're the ops guy. Sort of, kind of like yeah. the ops person. Yes, you and make shit uh, happen, is what you do. Well, you know, it was, again, it was really the daily operations, you know? Yeah. You know, they had a vision. They would tell me, this is what we want to do. Make it happen. And we just made it happen. Uh, and it was really a team effort. It was just not a single person. But, again, because a lot of the guys did not speak very well English or couldn't read the contracts really well, I, you know, I would help and assist with that aspect. Or the guys needed something, you know. They, so, at this point, is it, I mean, like, it's the team... But there's, it's the guys, like you being an athlete in the team as well. Right. You guys are all trying to make it happen, but there's no actually like staff. Well, when we right? first, to, when we moved to the first official American top team location mm -hmm. in Coconut Creek, which did you did you guys go to? Not the current location now that is gigantic. I've I've but the one, the one before that. I've not. Um, it was about 10,000 square feet, but before that we had a location, it was about 5,000 square feet. And at that point, when we got the first location, we were starting to get more defined as in staff, mm -hmm. you know, there were, and, and giving responsibility and roles. Yes. Yeah. I, I so, you know, like I would be there first thing in the morning and literally open the door and I was the last person close the door at night. Right. Um, but you know, we had. You know, there were certain coaches that were focused on the MMA part. There were certain coaches focusing on the jiu-jitsu aspect. We had a couple of coaches for strength and conditioning. So there was, it was the first development. It was, and to be honest, because it was the beginning part, it, it was a little bit disorganized. But we were making were do and doing pretty Were people naturally well. falling into those roles? Or was Some there somebody... Did. Like, for example, like in you my did, case, right? like, yeah, use, yeah. yeah, I can use myself as an example. I just naturally fell in there because I was the guy that, you know, oh, you know... I get you done. Yeah, like you saw... So, well, yeah, you, not you only saw I get it done, it's like, who do you know that can get, you know... Does, who knows a promoter in Georgia, for example? Right, right. Sure. I knew a guy in Georgia, and I would call him and... Carlos keeps raising his hand up. Well, I can do that. I can do that. Well, damn, this guy can do it. Well, this is the thing, it, it, and, I, and I think it's part of an upbringing. You know, I, I was taught to never be afraid of taking a job that you may not be qualified for, you know, and just wing it, and you'll make it. You know, you just, if you got three brain cells left, and, you know, and, and that's what I, honestly, that's what I did. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times... I'll tell you what, I'm not an attorney. <laughs> I, I, I do not have an MBA in negotiations, but I was able to negotiate some pretty decent contracts for some of the guys to fight in some of the events. So you, you were know, doing so. the actual management? 
some to certain so extent. Does that, okay. yeah. yeah. And and again, it was not that I wouldn't. I I never. I'll be very forward about this. I never made the final decision. I got you. It was something that I would go to the athlete. I would go to Liborio, Conan, Marcelo, and Dan. And it's like, guys, I contacted this person. You know, for example, Mike Brown going to the WEC. You know, the, he was fighting first in Bulldog. And Bulldog oh, said, <laughs> you know. I remember Bulldog. Oh, my God. I, I remember that. <laughs> and, man, I got some awesome stories about Bulldog. But. Um, Weren't they the ones that had that that marketing campaign that had scantily clad women like doing yes. MMA? Yes, he knows exactly. Yeah. Yes, I remember that ad campaign. Bulldog, yeah, yeah. Man, <sighs> <sighs> don't right. tell me you're at that photo shoot there, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. behind the scenes. <laughs> um. That's not for the public. <laughs> so right, we'll take that off after. So you know, you know the WEC. You know, I reached out and they said, listen, if he wins this bulldog fight and i think it was his last bulldog fight was uh um eve edwards you know whoa, whoa, whoa hang on eve edwards who was also att before he oh, wasn't okay, so i was like Ooh, right before whoa, he wasn't whoa, okay. so eve edwards you know uh and they fought in st petersburg russia or was that in most i don't remember if i was saying it was in russia mm -hmm. uh you know and i reached out to scott and i said hey he won let's make it happen and they offered him I want to say it was Big Frog first, Coran, Pat Coran, and then second. Oh, wow. yeah. uh, WC had the had the lighter weight court. Oh yeah, it was. I think it was Garcia. It was Coran first, Garcia after, and then the agreement was if he wins those two fights, he would get shot to Uriah Faber, and so we got him the three fight yeah. deal with the Uriah Faber after. Did, did I say it right, Coran, Garcia, and then Faber? Right. It was so Edwards. And he fought in Hook and Shoot, actually. Oh, which was also a part of Bodog. Bodog, yeah. And then he Manny Reyes Jr. Oh, that was a, that was a, oh my That's god! That's a kickboxing. That's a kick. It's a karate. No, guy. that was an MMA fight. So this guy. But Manny was, Reyes is a karate guy, though. He, he? The, that is the guy. Manny I Ray remember him from my Taekwondo days, <laughs> being a superstar. In, he like, in Taekwondo in point yeah, yeah, fighting, yeah, yeah, he was yeah, yeah. a superstar. But he was a big. But shit then he got too. oh my god, bigger than Gordon Ryan. <laughs> yeah, like he was a big <laughs> shit talker. <laughs> no, like legit. Like imagine I, if he had Twitter back then. <laughs> man, imagine if we had Instagram back then. It was he calling out Mike Brown. Oh. He called out Hermes Franca. He called out Mike Brown. He called out everybody. He said, nobody can touch me at 55. And he would send threads. He would send stuff oh in the mail. Is this guy, this guy was a straight savage. And we no, said, but he knew what he was doing. Like he he, right, he like, wanted a payday. Yeah. But he like, genuinely, yeah. this is the thing. He genuinely thought that his stand-up was good enough to stop any of these guys. Really? I, you know, and I, 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 being from a, a, a 11 years of Taekwondo, you kind of get that shit put in your head. Oh, yeah, well, I, would I just wouldn't get taken down. And I bet you he thought that. That's exactly what he said. Just, There's no I would way just that any of these guys can take me down. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, and, and so we made, it, we made it happen. We made the Manny Reyes fight. And that was an AFC. And then Jeff Curran. And then Jeff Curran. And then Uriah. Yeah. Is that but when he won I thought it was a Garcia was or Garcia was after Uriah. So he went Edwards, Eben Oros. Eben Oros. Yeah, that was an AFC. Uh, Manny Reyes. Okay. Jeff Curran. And then... And then Faber. It was fa okay. So uh, he got his title shot, second fight in right, WZ. If, if he was, yeah, because that was part of the agreement. I mean, if you see, you know, Brownie was on a on a really good run. Then he won a a good amount of decent fights. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean Edwards, <laughs> like man, that and that was a very close fight. Uh, I'll he be really Imanari. Honest. Yeah, in that deep? was wow, that wow. was terrible, the Imanari fight. But 
We were actually doing some video study for the Imanari fight, and Brownie at one point, the Imanari did his little roll to yeah. the heel hook, and Brown says, that shit won't work. Uh, uh, famous oh, last words? Sure no, enough, he, he like, ended up needing knee surgery. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, Imanari, if you watch the video, it's dropped Ooh. in, Imanari rolled to heel hook. <laughs> so, yeah, don't ever say that stuff don't work. The um, So you're you're, at this point, you're... You're stepping back from super active training. And yeah, so absolutely. And now at this point, I, you're, you know, I was focusing on, you know, growing the academy, yeah. helping the guys and running day day operations. And this is pre two thousand eight. That's when you move away to indie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a couple of years. I think we started officially started American Top Team in two thousand and one, two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Um, no, actually, well, yeah, because we went to. Columbus, Ohio for the Arnolds as a team. It was a big group of us. And I think it was still, Silve- we all registered as Silveda Brothers. Oh, my goodness. Really? Yeah. And this is when the, Ar- when the Arnold Classic, uh, they had the Gracie World Championships. Gracie World? So that means it's no, no time limit? No, but it was, uh, it was time limit, but... It's different, it, way different rules, right, than IBG? No, it, it was... Obviously, I mean, the IBJJF rules, they have changed a couple of times in the last few years. But, you know, standard points, you know, two points for takedown, guard passes, mount, knee, stomach. Um, But I'll give you an example. Jeff Monson, on a feature fight that they did, competed versus uh, Pedepano. Really? And, man, that was a... That was a ish show. Because... They said the rules, and one person interpreted it one way, uh, but it wasn't, and then there was a language barrier. But there was a lot of money in between. Back then, I think it was $10,500 or $10,000 to the winner. So that's a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Even, even today for yeah, grappling, it's still a lot of money. money. Yeah. And, you know, there was a big argument. And, then a and those big, are two big-name dudes. Oh, yeah. No, like, and yeah, at, like, at the time, it was... Two real big names. Yeah, yeah, like two Abu Dhabi. The best, right? right, The two best in the world. And there was a big riot and people were doing flying kick across the mat. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. It was madness. Man, social media should have been bigger then. I'm telling you, I'll be on. Actually, do you guys know who Ricardo Amendiola is? They call him Balea. He's the guy who does all the breakdowns. Yeah, He does all the breakdowns. He works for Flow Grappling as well. Good buddy, great guy. And he did a little back he he does a lot of like throwbacks yeah, videos yeah, like, and he had that he put uh, that to, one of I'll those we'll not that. long we'll, ago we'll put a link in this one on one of his um, things so, so did you yeah go, go ahead. ahead no no oh what i was gonna say is so with the with att forming in south florida you mentioned laborio's name a few times yes when did he get into the equation because you mentioned you were with conan and his brother right so and i'll go back my first time i met laborio he came in for a seminar at Popovich Academy. And was he so this, still this residing is, in Brazil at this HD point? doesn't even this exist. Is still, not even a glimmer in that, right? This is still Carl's, Carlson Gracie days. Okay? Oh, wow. Okay. You know, Pablo Popovich and his dad at the time were Carlson Gracie team. Uh, I met oh, they you were. Know, I met Master Carlson a couple of times. He had come down to Florida a few times. I met Libori one time. And then when I was already with the Silveira brothers... Um, Liborio had come down and I guess he was going to do like, you know, a couple of months 
of training with us, Dan Lambert and you know Conan and Marcelo. They were all real good friends back from Brazil, from the Carlson Gracie Academy originally. And they brought in Liborio, and Liborio, you know, loved Florida, and you know, one thing led to the other, and ended up staying. And that's when American Top Team really started, you know. Um, and it was the four of them: it was Liborio, Conan, Marcelo Silveira, and Dan Lambert. And they created American Top Team, and they got everything together. So that's the reality. The four base corners of American Top Team was. That Those were the original pillars. Correct. Of the, the, the founding pillars. fathers. So Correct. at what point did you receive your black belt and who was the one that promoted you? Officially, Liborio promoted me. Okay. Officially. Right, right. Um, I, had, was, I was just in the plannings of moving to Indiana and I had come to Florida. We still had some stuff in storage and I came to visit family. And so it must have been 2008, nine. And I'm terrible with dates. I'm so. Sorry. I mean, at this point, you've been you've training got quite a bit of jiu-jitsu. career. Yeah, you've been training. For, aside from obviously training all that judo, I have been as training for at least in jiu-jitsu at least ten years. At now. least, yeah, I was 10, say 11 ten or twelve years. was the math yeah. I was putting in my head. And and you know, again, I should have gotten my black belt before, but I had stopped because I was working a lot and not focusing training mm-hmm. so much. It's like you can't promote really honestly. And now as a black belt, I understand it. You can't promote somebody if they're really not putting the time in. Sure. At right, least right. on the, you know, on the upgrades on the color belts, you know. So and, and I understood it. I, that was fine with me. I was like, hey man, I know I'm not putting the mat time in. Mm-hmm. I get it, you know. And I was still I would keep up, but there was really not a lot. Of, as, again, from brown to black, there was not a incredible progression to me like it was from purple to brown i can tell the difference of progression for me yeah you know from brown to black there was some but not great but when i was again technically proficient and i saw i personally saw a lot of growth was from purple to brown purple to brown interesting so but i i need to make a little asterisk on my promotion so officially by Liborio, because Liborio reached out, and he's a personal great friend of mine, reached out to Rafael Ribello and Rafael Diaz, and by proxy Fabio Melo. They had an academy in downtown Lauderdale, and Liborio couldn't make it. So he told the guys, he's like, listen, tonight I'm going to tell Carlos to go to the academy. I'm not going to tell him for what. But he has to go to the academy, and you guys are going to promote him. Oh, that's awesome. So, I mean, there was a bunch of people, and I literally trained with everybody. I was dying because, again, I was just in the midst of moving. I just moved back to the U.S., and it's a big move, a lot of stuff, and I really wasn't focused in training that much. And, uh, but I was started to train more consistent. Um, and, uh, you know, I came in, and... I think there were like five. No, there were more. There were like seven or eight different black belts on the mat, a bunch, of, a couple of brown belts, a bunch of purple belts and blue belts. And I'm like, man, this is going to be a rough night. But, man, I just went out there and trained with everybody. And at the end of the class, I already have four degrees on my brown belt. And Rafi Rebello takes out the tape and starts stripping another strip. And I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, I'll well, be. What a, am I to say? You know, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Who I was am like, I to say anything? I'll be, I'll be a ten degree purple brown belt. <laughs> I don't care. And he just started laughing and just 
then they took a black belt and promoted me so i was pretty cool that's awesome man that's really, really so cool. officially liborio but the man that put the belt around my waist was rafi rebel and rafi diaz okay so when you went up to indy at this point you're moving from florida to indy right yeah and then when i went to indiana i had just literally just, just gotten, gotten my your black belt. belt and you um you opened att and indy? i opened att indianapolis about six months after i moved is to that indiana. your first your first academy that you've yes. run yes awesome. and it was literally in the heart of downtown and when i say in the heart of downtown if you look at the city of indianapolis smack in the middle there's a circle i'm one block away from that circle oh, and, wow. and in a very busy intersection uh, but little did i know that downtown downtown on any city might not be the best place for an academy because it's dead on the weekends absolutely dead the foot traffic is during business hours i mean indianapolis the city itself is a business downtown yeah, yeah. type business place district, yeah it's a business district so it's not like a residential location or you know like here we have colonial it's a huge right, traffic right. road it, it was it was rough it was challenging, man. It and it was there? a very humble place, too, you know? Is it still there? or is it No, we moved? moved locations. Now we moved to a much bigger academy. And, you know, again, we moved to a closer, more residential area on the west side of town. And, you know, we're doing well. And actually, I'm going up now in October because it's going to be our 10th year anniversary. Oh, congratulations. So, so as, as a, a, a new business owner, um, you had already worn all the hats. So you knew kind of what goes into it right like were you I teaching did, all the but classes again, i was i was very naive about some business mm -hmm. decisions that i didn't take place during an american top team and i kind of like observed from the back so again i tried to wing it and you know i have my hard lessons and i have some things that i got pretty lucky with um but the good thing is we grew the brand we we, we, grew the, we grew the American top team brand in Indianapolis. Uh, we had a pretty decent MMA team for the local scene uh, starting. I had a couple of guys that they would train with each other. They really had no no formal training and mm -hmm. direction. And that's a lot what of the guys garage gyms. Like I, I, literally, you know, I mean, it's, it was just really rudimentary and rustic type training. So is that like, so, I mean... Is it safe to say that you're the father of MMA in? Absolutely not. No, man. No. <laughs> there's there's guys that've been there for a long time. You know, there. You know, you have their guys. Jesus, like, you have. Man, I, I, I credit where credit is due. James Klingerman. You know, you got Miguel Torres. You know, you have. Uh, God, that's a name. I oh yeah, Braulio, yeah, Braulio Corral. Yeah. You know, you you have these guys that have they've been in the scene. And, man, I know I'm right now, Alan Stockman, you know, I, I got to give credit to credits due. Those guys have been in the scene in, in the state of Indiana mm -hmm. for a very long. Pat McPherson, you know, he's the integrated fighting. Chris Lytle, you know. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Man, no way. If you're going to call anybody the grandfather of MMA in Indiana, it's going to be Chris Lytle yeah. and Pat McPherson. End of story. You know? So when you went up there and, and formed the academy, what was, again, at the time, not what it's like now, what were, what, were the, what were the main differences that you saw between the scene from South Florida to what you were moving to in Indiana? The technicality. You have guys here that would dedicate it the whole day to 
getting better at certain things. You had, you know, you go to Indiana, I had guys that would work a factory job from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m., rush traffic to try to get in the academy as much as they could and then go home to their families. Mm. You, know, you had guys here that would do three trainings a day right, right. every day. So technically, there was a big difference. Though, but the difference is, you know, again, man, with Midwest hard work. Yeah, that, that ethic. You got, you know, so now you're getting a lot of guys, you know, where you got Joe Ebersole. You know, um, Jesus, I got his face right here. He was he was a wrestler at Purdue. He fought in the John Fitch. Oh, John. Oh, Fitch, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but John Fitch, in order to get his maximum potential, he moved to California. He had to go to AKA. Right. He right went there. to AKA. Yeah. You know, um, and, and again, we're talking about ten years ago. Nowadays, it's very different. Nowadays, nowadays, you got guys that will dedicate their whole time yeah so at, at that because time it, you saw yeah. you saw people that had tremendous work ethic but and potential but, and potential but just it wasn't typical the for someone to be full-time training absolutely they they had a, like chris lytle was job. a full-time firefighter right and still and mma yeah it really, and still and and who was the other um shane carwin wasn't yeah he, he, was, like a, he was an engineer he was like he was an engineer he was a civil engineer well you have matt mitrion was probably one of the first guys um, that was a full-time athlete, period, that became an MMA fighter. You had a couple of guys that were high-level athletes, you know? But, again, I I'm trying to run through the Rolodex here. He was probably – you have a couple of guys that did really well that were teachers. You have, a, you know, again, Chris Lytle, but, again, full-time fireman. Yeah. Uh, he also ran for Senate. Did he really? Yep. State Senate? State Senate. State this Senate. is pre-Chael uh, Sonnen. Isn't he a state representative? <laughs> Actually, a kind of a, around the same time. Oh, really? Yeah. But so, I mean, like, did you um, – so a lot of a lot of untapped potential up there. A lot of untapped potential. And did you – so when you were running your academy, were you – you had to wear all the hats at that academy. Of course. Just being I mean, the, like you had to do – It was my place. Yeah. I had a, you know, you I had a business all the partner classes? that, you know, he's still today. He's still my business partner and one of my best friends. Um, but, yeah. He knew nothing about running an academy, you know? Yeah. He just, be he originally became as an investor and, you know, listen, I have the availability to this, yeah. to this location and, you know, we can work these numbers out and that's what we did. And you, so you were teaching all the classes? I was teaching all the classes. Oh my God. And was, was it strictly a, a jiu-jitsu academy at the time or MMA? No, MMA. MMA. So yeah. you had to do striking classes? Oh, yeah. So I, in order to not burn myself out, which I, I did a little bit. Um, I would run, our original schedule was Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, it was gi. Mm -hmm. Tuesdays, Thursdays was no gi and striking. And then Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, we would have an MMA technical class. Mm. And then we would, we would adjust the sparring schedule depending on what events we had coming up for MMA. Are you still trying to promote events at the time when you're opening your academy? Or are you, you kind of stepped away from that no, to, I to focus away. on? Okay. Yeah, no, 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 no. I had a couple of offers to help start promoting events. Mm. But again, I just, I didn't have the energy. And the other thing that we didn't talk about, I was living in a town called Kokomo, which is about... Kokomo? Now, 
Kokomo, Indiana. Oh, okay. Not, like not, not the Beach Boys song. I feel like no, I've like, heard no, that. Really. Well, I feel like I've heard Kokomo before. Like, so I've heard of Kokomo, Indiana is where the Chrysler factory is. Ah, okay. Oh, that's okay. why I've heard it. And it's a huge industrial, I mean, it's a big industrial town population, probably in the whole county, about 80,000. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, I was driving an hour and 20 minutes south to go to my academy, teaching all those classes. And then driving an hour and twenty Oy. minutes north back to my family. Oh, so you're you're and gone then I would all work, day. I would work in the mornings from five a.m. till approximately three p.m. Mm-hmm. Go down, teach, and eventually I took a second job that I would work from nine till about oh midnight, a part-time job doing concrete polishing. Oh my god. But it is what you got to do, man. You yeah, want to succeed, you got to get a leg up on the guy, man. You got to put yeah, more. What is more is it? You got to punch that clock, right? That's it. You got to punch that ticket. So I'm kind of curious, from your perspective, when do you think jiu-jitsu and even MMA to a lesser degree, but, but primarily jiu-jitsu, went from being what it was when you started, which was a room full of killers, where right. if you weren't tough, you weren't going like, to make it. You're there to fight. You're, you're there, there to learn to fight. And to something that's now appealing to... Me and Noah. A blue-collar person, you know, <laughs> the, a banker, you know, or a lawyer. We have lawyers that train. We have doctors that train. When did it become I'm not saying them. they're not yeah, badasses, yeah, yeah. but I'm when, saying... No, no, no. I, I, I completely get when, when it became it be, attractive for to everybody. the general population. Correct. And gyms could start marketing to them and, and, and make money doing that. In my honesty, thank you, Spike TV. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you think the ultimate fighter oh, oh, was... Oh, five 100%. Yeah. Really? And actually, at the time, I was promoting the Absolute Fighting Championships. Okay. And our ticket sales bombed, and I put the blame on Spike TV. Because now you don't have to really... It was such oh, a big boost of having the now they can UFC watch it for free. on free TV. Yeah. Why uh, am I going to pay you know, general admission 20 bucks? And we were getting a couple of thousand people at the venue. We went actually from a small auditorium, the War Memorial Auditorium. Oh, yeah. I've been to a couple of those. Right? So we went from there to the Florida Atlantic University Basketball Stadium. Yep. And again, we were doing pretty well. But then when Spike started coming in, we could see our ticket sales decline substantially. And it just became something that it was just not... Because like the, the environment now for local MMA promotions... Is like, it's very geared towards like the fighters. You know, they bring their base mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Even even then, you saw it decline because like I would think that local fighters would be out there. Understand you know, this? Their we were nothing amateur. We were bringing saying, guys. Yeah, like we were bringing guys from Russia, Bulgaria, Japan. We brought guys worldwide to compete. Shaolin Hibedo. Yeah, yeah. Fought in the AFC. Antoine Jouad fought in the AFC. You know, we had a couple of Japanese. And you uh, guys were able to re- recoup the cost of bringing these guys in for these events. Because if you go to a local event here, these people, the amount of money you have to spend on bringing a fighter in is way less than what you do. Yeah, that's why you just get local talent. Honestly, at first, no. But, you know, we got to a point that I mean, we have Brad Pickett in our event. Yeah. But he worked in our favor because Brad Pickett would come down to train with us. So now I didn't have to take care of that airfare. Mm. You know, that airfare from the UK to the US, a good 1500 bucks alone. So at one point, yeah, we were making some money. 
it wasn't great money, but we were keeping afloat to be able to do the next production. Do the next one, yeah. So, 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 what are you doing now these days on the promotion side? In the promotion side, I'm working with a company called B2 Digital. Okay. And they are a conglomerate, and uh, what they do is again, they focus on MMA. Mm-hmm. Now that has been their their ticket item. MMA events. They have purchased. They're the parent company to about six, seven different uh, MMA events throughout the Midwest. And, uh, you know, one of the things, obviously, MMA and Jiu-Jitsu go hand in hand. And they just had their first grappling event. We had it in Hammond, Indiana. We had about 200-plus participants. That's awesome. A tournament or like a... a, Open tournament. You can sign up from white belt to blue belt to whatever. We had a couple of uh, super fights in the event. And again, everybody had fun, and we had good, and we had a real good time. And uh, they brought me in as again their grappling. Their funny thing is, is on all of our messages and emails, my name is the jujitsu guy. <laughs> so, so I guess that's okay. There we go. That's, that's my job. So, anywho's part of me, guys. Um, so that's what we're doing, and we have an event. You know, that was our first event, and we're gonna take these shows on the road and our next event is going to be here in florida right here in orlando on november 14th november awesome. 14th so what's yeah. um what's going to be the name of the event where can people it's sign? called b2 grappling series you can find the information at b2grappling.com okay. uh also in social medias facebook instagram and uh where's it going to be held it's going to be held at the florida convention center oh wow at the Wait. florida hotel and convention center so That's you know where the, the florida the mall florida is mall. yeah yeah they have a hotel and convention center attached oh, wow. to it. It's going to be right there. And is this event going to be strictly gi or is there no gi? Both gi both. and no gi. And it's really reasonable. It's only 55 bucks oh for my registration. God. Right. <laughs> Listen, we're not. We, here's Even the thing. Even new breed is like, it's like 110 so bucks. <laughs> I'm going to go back to something that I said a little while ago. I've been in the shoes of a competitor. The last event I competed was here at the Orlando Open like two years ago maybe. I beat you know? I beat JJF. Yeah. You know? 120 so, bucks. <laughs> right. Man, dude. I and don't care who you are. And you got to be a And you have to do member. the membership. And guess what? You're a black belt. You got to do membership. Oh, you got to yeah. do the registration, the background check, the whole shebang. It's like, dude, it's an investment. You know? So I don't. And again, as a parent, this is something else that I've taken a look at. We spend a lot of money for our kids. There's so many barriers to entry. Right. I'll let Chris talk about this one. I don't have the oh, yeah, 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 any yeah, kids yet, but Chris, Chris's eyes are lighting up like, oh, oh, fuck oh yeah, like, man. Okay. Yeah, well, here's no, the no. thing. Listen, a gi, on, on the economical side, you're going to pay 100 bucks for the gi. Yeah. And you know you have three or four gis, and if you're a hardcore fan, you're paying $300 for the gi. Yeah. You know? Why, why do your eyes tear up, Chris? <laughs> no, no, no. no. Just, right. you're, you're talking the king of geese here. But then, I've, I've got more than you can But count, then so. again, now... That's and the just, keeps getting bigger. Exactly. Right? You gotta, yeah, 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 every year, you're going to buy another... <laughs> now, you also pay your membership fees for the academy. Correct. And if you do private tutoring, you know, private coaching, you know, you do the private classes. Yeah. Now, you got to spend money on gas. You got to spend money on travel, you can hotel, and meals. And if you eat a good restrictive diet, you know, I'm not going to say restricted, but a healthy diet, well, guess what? You're probably spending more than $4 per meal on, on, on your fat food joint. So, it's a big investment. So, in order to make it work... I we I really sat down with with the president of the company and everybody and I said guys we need to come up to a a, a price point where it makes sense 
that we're not going to lose our shirt, but it's viable for everybody. And 55 was the right number. So well, I, I think that that's okay, a that's, great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, looking yeah, like, at so, I mean, next week or this, you know, this Thursday, the pants. This start. Thursday, I'm coaching a couple of people at the pants. One hundred and twenty nine dollars. Yeah, exactly. One hundred twenty nine for plus. not even a guarantee. No, no. Well, I mean, you're, you get a T-shirt, so it's no, no guarantee it's match. No guarantee match, and that's the crazy part, right? Like that's and guess what? If you miss weight, they're not. Mo- they don't move your brackets. Tough oh, luck, yeah, buddy. Yeah, you're out. You're a pound over. Oh, your git doesn't fit perfectly right within this room. I think that's. So, a, do they have a plus or minus of a pound, or do you have to be for off? us? Yeah, for IBJJF. For BJ, for, 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 I'm just asking you because I'm competing. Yeah, he's, I, he's, I'm he's, competing. he's getting a little selfish. I'm, I'm asking the ref right away. So, man, I have to be honest. I'm gonna say no. No, okay, that's, that's air, air on the side of I'm caution. Operating right? I'd rather that. air on the side of caution. I'm like weighing. I'm putting my gear on every morning, stepping on the scale. And I'm like, okay. not a hundred percent. If you get a, a plus or minus for for you know equipment discrepancy, but I'm gonna say no. Yeah. But it, it, this is a fact. If you miss weight, tough luck, buddy. You Sorry, well, I heard no refunds, so no I, exchanges. I heard, I've heard. I've heard that. Um, there are some stories, or let's say you just say rumor and innuendo that some guys like, you know, maybe a guy like Hoffa Mendez will step on the scale and like, oh, wait, wait, oh, wait, wrong gear. And he'll go back and, <laughs> okay, facts. and he'll weigh again. And, and it's facts. Like, <laughs> all right, so. I, and I'm not going to say that person, but I, I've seen something the, happen. The, the, the big where name guys get they, a little. <laughs> I'm going to say this. I just, and I've seen this. I saw a guy weigh in with a gi. Gets off the scale, and as he's walking towards the mat, his friend gives him another gi top oh. and switches his gi top. <laughs> <laughs> wait, I wait, saw this. Where do they measure? So, wait, I'm not going to say the, the name sleeves? of the person, but it is not. a pretty well-known guy. Yeah, okay. Do they measure the – so hang on. They so measure the sleeves. They measure – Before your, you weigh or after you weigh? As you're weighing in. You stand there. Oh, and the as guy, you're weighing there's in. There's a guy with a little ruler, and he sticks it in your sleeve and the whole thing. Yeah. Have you done all that just to make sure that it's all – Oh, I, dude, I've got a couple geese. That, Do you? Know, okay, all right. I'm, 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 gotta make sure, sure, yeah, I'm, I'm sticking my hands out and looking at – I look at the right, right. book and stuff. Yeah, but if, for example, like with us, listen, if you miss weight, it happens, man, you know, and especially with the kids – you know, we'll just put you in the next bracket. There you go. Right. You know, like we want to. Our point is, we want to give the best experience. A, a consumer friendly. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Okay, so um, I'll, I'll make sure we put put all the info online. Um, yeah, we'll have to get on this the, episode. On the, on the, we'll sure, get that right, stuff the, up the, there. But that's really exciting. So this will be their second event. Officially. It'll be a second, second event. We're event. looking probably to do one back in the Midwest uh, for the month of December, but. We're going to be more than likely doing one per month. Um, okay. I'm really? looking at venues right now for Houston, Texas. Um, again. How do you choose your cities? Like good, well, good first demographic places where you, places where you yeah, can actually I'll have be honest, the event. You know, listen, we, we, have to, we have to be considerate of things. And it's really demographics of the sport. You know, I'm not going to go to, I don't know, man. It's some obscure little town in the middle of, you know, Montana. Yeah. That you know, we're population. Come on, three. man. No, no, Fargo. Go to Fargo. Go, go to, to Fargo, North Dakota. Right? <laughs> man, Next you go to Bismarck. Now, yeah. no, you know, you go to Bismarck. There's a big jiu-jitsu community in Bismarck. No so kidding. is that to say you guys chose Orlando over someplace like Miami because Orlando well, here's, has a stronger jiu-jitsu community? Number one, Orlando does have a very strong jiu-jitsu community. yes. However, this is a strategical situation because. If you do an event in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, 
people from Jacksonville won't drive down there because it's a five-hour drive. Right, right. Some will, but not the majority. But if you go to the middle, and again, it's just a geographical thing. Right. It's just conveniently located. I just looked for some airfares and for from Chicago, for example, you can travel round trip for less than $100. Really? Yeah. To Orlando. And if you want to go to Disney World or Universal on top of that with your child, that's by all and means. It's, it's in a November, destination. So yeah, if you're a, in the Northeast, you, oh, you're anywhere yeah. north of the Mason Dixie line, guess what? I mean, I mean, real talk, I'm wearing flip flops yeah. right now. I know. <laughs> well, that's, that's super awesome, man. So, um, I, I mean, from a business perspective, uh, for this event to go off, what, what would success look like for you guys after holding this event, looking back? People don't have a good time. People have a good time. That's, that's End an of story. Yeah. That, that, for me, is success. I want people to have a good time. Listen, it'll be great to have a gang of people and have a full day of matches nonstop from 9 a.m. till 7 p.m. Yeah, that'll be great. The reality of thing is... If we have a, a low turnout, we still happen. It's so everything is paid for. We're rolling. We're rolling mm-hmm. with it. If we have a slow turn, a low turnout, I'm okay with that as long as people have a great time. I want people to have fun. I want people to have some really good matches, fair scoring. Because I know um, that's the other thing. You know, we made the rules, in my opinion, a little simpler. There's no advantages. Uh, mm. Advantages gets a little sketchy sometimes. Um, you know, there's no affiliation with the referees. Uh, all the referees have been instructed if they have somebody on the mat and there's any kind of affiliation, remove and excuse yourself from the mat and we'll get somebody else to replace you for that match at least. Uh, I want people to have a good time. Does that happen? Absolutely. Like affiliated refs? Absolutely. It's happened to me at ADCC World Championships and I will remove myself from the mat 100%. There's no. Events. I can't believe there's not a rule in place to do that already. I, I have. I mean, you're competed. you're doing the the ethical thing to do. I right? have competed myself against someone where their instructor was the referee. On the oh team. come on, man! One hundred percent. That's and that's I'm not gonna terrible. Say, I'm not gonna say which. brother. I'm not gonna say which event, but it might rhyme with IBJJF. That's how I mean, like. Well, I mean, this is, I can see this stuff happening. You know? I mean, yeah. yeah. And they're I, I supposed guess to be, listen, they're supposed to have a certain level of professionalism and being partial, whatever, the whole thing. Even if you're it's impossible, to, right? Even yeah. if you're trying to, it might be hard. Yeah. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Because yeah, yeah. you're like, just going to see things through the, the lens of, yeah, you're right. going to see things different. Right. You, you know, you see it through a different lens. But, you know, yeah, I mean, that's just what all of our referees have been instructed right, to right. do. If that person on the mat, if there's any affiliation four degrees of separation between you and that individual get the hell out of that mat you are not refing that match right we'll get somebody else that's good so i mean i, I was just talking to to dylan about this and you might you probably know dylan gower he got a black belt from paul he refs yes, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah he does a lot of refing and he started telling me about you know his perspective or his experience being a ref, uh, being a ref just doing jujitsu and i was thinking this is one of the hardest jobs I can imagine. You're there for six, seven hours. Imagine you're there six hours refing all standing. day. Standing. Hunchback and your you, head down. And yeah, and then you blink and something happens and you're like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> and especially just like. And at the end of the day, usually you have some of the better matches sometimes. And right, I get it really bad. Yeah, like, the kids are all in the morning and now yeah. you've been. So how hard is it to ref? Super hard. <laughs> you, know, it's, it's, you know, it's funny because 
you know, uh, which I'm still a part of and I will still continue. And, you know, this organization has a very special place in my heart. I, I do ref for the ADCC, mm-hmm. the Abu Dhabi Combat Club, and I've ref for them at the world level. I've uh, heard that they're very strict. They have super. very they have very high standards. I'll give you I'll give you a perspective of things. And the they training just it, postponed right? the U.S. trials because they couldn't get the rest of the refs, and they bring these guys from Finland, from Europe. Yeah, but the majority of them are from Finland, and because of the travel restrictions, they could have gone around and do things different way. But they said no, we'll postpone it. I, oh, yeah. can we fill the spots with people from the U.S.? Probably. Are their experience as proficient? No. Really? So they, that's no, the a guy very... The, Mo, ADC, the, the guy who's running it, Mo, came out and said, yeah. look, the, the fact of the matter is there's, a, hand, see, there's a couple people I trust in the United States, but to actually do the, the event, <laughs> then I, I, you know, I, I need to use these refs or else yeah, right. you know, the integrity and he of the can, events. You know, and I consider Mo Hasim a friend. And, you know, and I asked him, he's like, hey, listen, man, if, if things get you know real difficult we can get guys here in the u.s guys that i trust yeah and he said nope if i can get the best of the best we're not doing it right now really we so. can postpone it you know we'll work around it and i'm all right done deal so um you so know that's long? just how professional and the level you know the the level that they hold themselves to so how do you like how do you so bottom line reffing like is super freaking hard yeah yeah like and and how do you like what w- I guess I know this might sound like a, a, a rudimentary question, but like, how do you keep track of like, you know, these the, the scenarios where a scramble can happen over the course of a length of time yeah. and you've got to just remember who the fuck was on top. Yeah, it's and like who a volley, was, Like right? stuff like that. So, like, how do you, again, like, I feel is, like my short term memory couldn't do that. You know what I mean? So this <laughs> is where, this is where, you know, like Mohassim was talking about, the experience comes into play. You have to be in these scenarios you know, like still to this day, and again, I do this, again, I'm a little different, but I, I do this to stay relevant. I'll watch an IBJJF match, but score it ADCC style. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll do yeah, that on purpose, so I continue to practice. You know, because yeah, you're scoring under the worst, not the worst conditions, but no, completely different but conditions. On different conditions. Yeah, yeah and then different you, strategy. As an athlete, I can get a, I can get a an advantage and win a match. There's no advantages in ADCC. Right. You know, the scoring system is different. The requirements for somebody to actually get awarded the points are different. So, talking about the scrambles. I've reviewed certain scrambles like uh, Muhammad Ali versus Nick Rodriguez at the ADCC. Oh, God. oh yeah. geez. That was insane. There, like, you know? And there were certain things that me as a judge, I would have scored it, or as a ref, I would have handled differently. But that was one of the hardest matches, you know, and Nick Rodriguez versus Cyborg because of the scrambles. Because it's like you got to pay attention, you know, when did the referee say stop? You know, was their foot inside of the line, outside of the line? Who initiated the movement? Who? It, it's hard, man, but it comes with practice, you know? Nobody ever, you know, you don't come the first day of jiu-jitsu and know how to do, you know, arm bar to omoplata to triangle. It takes time to learn that mm-hmm. stuff. Do you, um, so as having refed and having promoted and having um, worn many hats and, and worked across a lot of different organizations in combat sports, which rule set 
I mean, you just kind of mentioned ADCC as having a special place in your heart. But which do you think is the best representation of submission grappling? Of the purest of submission one. grappling? Oh, here we go. Are we talking uh, about I'm, submission I'm, grappling or jiu-jitsu? Okay. No, right? no, but, <laughs> I use submission grappling with jiu-jitsu synonymously. To me, grappling's grappling. You want to submit the guy. You want to get position. Yeah, yeah. So, like, just of jiu-jitsu in its purest form. Submission only. Submission only. Of course. It, no no time limit. No time limit. No, no point points. submission only. That's pure grappling. I mean, that's that's the the original form. And now we're going back. And again, I did this in college. I actually did a paper on the origins of jujitsu. And we're going to date it. Forget about feudal Japan times. We'll go date it back all the way to, you know, India. So, and and now we're going to go in. I, I can go into a tangent, but I don't want to. That's the purest form. If we eliminate submission grappling as in submission only thing, for me, ADCC rules. You know, again, no gi is, is that's it. That's where it's at. So, isn't the dilemma then primarily that we're taking something and turning it into a spectator event? That's essentially ADCC is a promotion. You know, correct. So to make something enjoyable for the viewer, you have to impose. A rule set that because if you have a no time limit yeah, submission I mean, only match, it would be like it could it'd it be could, like cricket, right? It'd be like lasting well, two not, weeks long. Not, not necessarily, but there will be situations yeah. where they're still going, you know. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, unless they're gonna make the ring shrink on them, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> make it small, start start letting crocodiles and gators <laughs> out, you know. But here's the thing: it, it really boils down to the individual, you know. I think you know submission only on a 10-minute match type thing or 15-minute match, it's okay. But it depends on the individual because, yes, let's be honest, some matches in any rule set can become extremely effing boring, you know? I know guys that, man, dude, I, I, if they tell me this guy is competing, I was like, Jesus Christ, really? Do you need me to rep this? <laughs> That's easy to score, though, right? Like, because, <laughs> well, they usually tend to be easier to score, but then... I'll be honest, man. Your mind starts to wonder. Like, and like you said earlier, you can blink and miss something. So oh, I true, don't yeah. want that to happen. So you got to like, it's mentally draining because you got to put yourself. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's only 10 minutes. Yeah, it's only 10 minutes to all day since 9 o'clock in the oh, morning. Yeah, and it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon now, you know? So so what is your preference uh, just for you what do you enjoy uh practicing more gi jiu-jitsu or no gi jiu-jitsu gi. you prefer the gi now yes 100 100 now now but when you were no. younger you're a no gi guy i could care less you i just care. i just wanted to train. <laughs> just want to train and stuff yeah I, it just it just and i'm a little old school so it's one of the, you know i i i i when i came up through the ranks it's one of those things you have to train with the gi to get better sure. at no gi sure now that I'm older and, and I have a different opinion and I've, you know, I've looked at things a little different. No, you don't need to train with the gi to be better at no gi. You just need to do more no gi. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but for my personal preference, yeah, man, give me my short your old gi on and let's go. That's awesome. All right. So as we kind of close things down. Non-pay commercial. commercial yeah, yeah, like, I mean, sure, you're <laughs> right. cool you guys are interested yeah, 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 in, absolutely. you know, like I'm an A2, Noah's an A2 yeah. also. I mean, <laughs> the, um, 
So what's his deal with Paul getting a black belt? Yeah, a, black belt? a double black belt oh, here? I don't know if he wants me to talk about that. No, no, no. We got this. We got this. He can always edit it I out. I can cut so, this just, out. Just That's, tell I'll the story. Tell the story. the end, and then we can... We can <laughs> always so, edit. Let's so hear it. Paul and Dean... So hang on. Let me, let, me, let me give you some context. This is what I'm aware of. And I think that's a pretty, this is like the story. So then you can know where I'm coming from and then you can be like, insert what you know. Go. My understanding is that uh, Paul was belted from white to brown under Marcio here in Orlando and was, had served the time and was close to getting his black belt, but then opted to go to ATT uh, down Coconut Creek to train. And at that point, Laborio said, uh, I don't know you. So it's going to take at least, you know, three years before I consider giving you a black belt. And at that point, Paul was training. Uh, he was an MMA fighter. He didn't care. You ran know, ran like, I'm, several I'm fighter, academies. You know? Yeah. And then time went by and he, he got promoted by Laborio. So that's the story I currently have in my head. So continue. Oh, man. He, <laughs> I put on my Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get comfy. Get, get the Christmas get machine here. Here you go. Here you go. You have partial parts okay, of the story, go. right? <laughs> So, yeah, man. There's, there's. Um, we'll have to get Paul's blessing, but go on, go on, go on. That's why I left it for the end. Yeah, exactly. So, so, I think Paul fought at this event. I'm not sure. I think Dean cornered him. Man, I'm, and I'm throwing some old school names here. Rich Crunkleton. Oh, Hang on, Chris, Chris knows. like, like crazy Richie. Rich I, I know, I know Richie. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. There's only one. He's got another little brother, the the little Crunkleton. Well, I know, I, I know Rich, but so, yes. you know, Rich Crunkleton, Charles Crazy Horse Bennett. So <laughs> I mean, these are these are guys that are staple, true old school dudes in the MMA scene in Florida. And we were at the Silver Spurs dirt floor, and it was an MMA event in a ring. You know. Four three rope ring, and during the event, you know, um, geez, what's Ross? Kellen, champions MMA. Yeah, Ross Kellen and Jamie Levine were partners in a company called in, Rival. Yeah, they were partners in business and in an academy as well. And Jamie gets on in the ring and calls Dean and Paul out, and Seller did a little speech and wrapped a black belt. Wait, it, black at, at the event? At the event. It's weird. <laughs> that happens. Hey, people get promoted at events I, all the time. He wasn't, just, or they weren't his students, were they? I don't know. <laughs> Ask him. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, it's, it's... Ask Paul. Okay. <laughs> Facts. I saw this. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I, I believe what you saw. But, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, you know, then after that, I do remember... Dean came down, and again, I have more direct relationship and, you know, interaction with Dean than I did with Paul at the time, because Paul would come down, like, you know, for the weekend. Yeah, because Paul know. was at. Right. So, you know, he would come down and do some of the MMA sparring training and whatnot, and, uh, but then I do remember seeing Dean with the brown belt, and I was like, Okay, whatever. <laughs> Wait, like, you know, I saw him. Right. <laughs> but again, you have to understand, you know, it's like, you know, and I, I, you know, more than not, it probably was a thing of respect. And if there were, you know, if Paul was those training with Seamus, because again, Seamus has been 
Again, he's the grandfather oh, of yeah. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, Orlando. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there's no dispute to that. He's been here the longest. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, again, I don't know if Paul did train, you know, with Professor Simas and if he got his brown ball with Simas, but I did witness someone putting a black somebody um, <laughs> putting a black belt around his well, that. but that also speaks quite a bit about Paul right like that he's oh absolutely you know 100%. like that he says he realizes is like you know the validity his integrity and the truth and what, to it yeah, you know like, and and taking and taking the criticism because there's a certain level of criticism of like man I don't know what you bring to the table and now as a black belt and having promoting somebody else to black belt I hold those peop- those individuals to higher standards than anybody else. Sure. Because in my personal opinion, in order for you to have a black belt, it's not only about a technical level. You know? It, it, it's, it's got a lot to do with your character. That's and what I've, I've always said, and you can, you can tell me if this is a fair assessment, that a big component of it is the professor needs to be able to be comfortable to say, I vouch for this person. Absolutely, 100%. You know, it's not just this person's a badass on the mat. Right. It's I need to vouch for him. Right. You know, you know, and, and, and if not, go somewhere else and get a black belt. That's right. You know, and I actually told someone, I said, no, man, I'm not, I'm not giving <laughs> I'm not, you. Yeah. And this was not a black belt. It was a brown belt. And I said, no, man, I'm not giving you a brown belt. You know, I, I vouch for. Oh, so even for brown belt, you feel that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, you're a brown belt. There's I'm a certain a, level of responsibility right. that comes along with that. You know, a good friend of mine, his name is Tim Sled. He's a uh, Andre Galvão black belt from Indiana. He's actually an attorney. And uh, we both have the same theory. So we, we see it as, you know, as a academic growth, but also human growth. Your white belt is when you're your elementary school level. Your blue belt, you had just moved to middle school. Purple belt, you're in high school. Brown belt, you have your collegiate degree. And black belt, you just earn your doctorates, you know? And part of earning your doctorate's degree is that you have to have letters of reference as character reference. Correct. So, you know, in order to have that black belt, you have to have certain character Now, um, another story I heard, which I really liked, and it's the only time I've heard it, so I was wondering if you've... If you've because you were down there, so you, this might have been common practice down there, but um, Paul said that when Laborio was considering him for promotion... He sent him to a number of other black belts to train with them, yeah. so he would get them saying like, their yeah, input. yeah, their input on it. One hundred percent. A peer was that, review. That, that was part again. You know, kind of happened. And I proxy. thought of that just for that very reason. You like said a, like, like a when you're review, college, right? you have a, you know, you have you a, can defend your you paper. You defend your thesis right. in front yeah. of a yeah. number, but not just your guy, but a number of people. Right, and that's kind of like, again, you know, Liborio was not able to attend my official promotion because he had some other commitments. But, you know, there were, again, there were like seven or eight different black belts there. And I didn't understand, man, why do I have to train with these guys today? I'm You're like, man, not today. Like, uh, I had <laughs> just loaded a 30-foot truck full of stuff <laughs> from a storage unit. I'm beat up. And I'm like, all right, man, let's do it, you know? Um, but, yeah, yeah, he, he did that. And, you know, and actually one of the things is we had, and to be honest with you, I don't do it, but we used to have a test. I know we do it for other belts, for color belts, but an actual test where I'm asking you questions where you have to verbally answer or demonstrate it technically proficient to me, show me a three combination guard pass. 
where there's got to be three definitive combination of a guard pass. Response, two, guard pass, response. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Counter to or the show counter. Me, with this. Or show yeah. me a three combination ending with the arm bar. And it has to be proficient. It can't, you know, a three combination It's got to be smooth. It's got to be, yeah. be proficient. Like, you know, you're doing X, Y, Z thing first. That's going to lead to a response that you're going to do to your plan yeah. B. That is going to lead to another, to plan C. And then you finally get submission. And that's something that we did. I still do it for certain belts, you know, certain things. But character, it's, it's heavy, man. Yeah. It's real. Again, for me... And most of the black belts that I know, people that I respect, Rafael Rebelo, Pajumpina, you know, Rafael Diaz, Liborio himself, character has, is, is a big component. You know, Ayoton Barbosa, who's the head instructor at the Maid Academy for the regular classes, character is a big deal, man. Yeah. How many black belts have you awarded? Two. Two. I've only awarded two black in belts. In 10 years. In, in the time, actually, I've been a black belt for... Oh, I, mean, I, I apologize for your yeah. the length of your academy. I mean, like yeah, for, yeah. For, for the length of my academy, yes, only two: two. Dan Hornbuckle and Dustin Parrish. And they um, are they're homegrown. Hornbuckle was not homegrown. He's that. Why does the name sound familiar? He Is fought he, in Bellator. That's what I'm saying. A bunch like he's a times. pro fighter, right? He fought in Japan a bunch of times. Um, yeah, and he was the number one contender in Bellator. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did, at one point, he was. Pound for pound, I'm um, not pound for pound, but um, Walter Wade, he was top 10 in the world. That's uh, awesome. So, you know, Hornbuckle is a tough guy, great guy, you know, a good, solid friend. And, you know, Dustin Parrish is actually my guy that currently runs all the classes at American Top Team of Indianapolis now. And, again, another solid guy. He was a good D2 wrestler. Um, Should have been D1, but, you know, it just... For some reason, he decided to go D2, and, uh, you know, he he was, I inherited him when he was a fresh blue belt, mm -hmm. but other than that, he's gotten every belt with me. Are you, um, so, I mean, you're, you travel between two states on the regular, and yes. now you're working with B2, yes. traveling to potentially Houston and yeah. to Texas and whatnot. How, um... How often are you able to get on the mats and train yourself? Or are you just kind of, you have Not to Not as instruct. much as I like, yeah. you know? I mean, again, guys, I live five minutes from here, you know? And you guys see me. I'm, I've been here yeah, you're, you're four, like, yeah. four or five times. I've been to Patino's place maybe twice. I said you went to Glenn's the other day. I went to Glenn's yeah. once, you know. I, I Man, I love that guy. He's oh, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. That's a, that, Glenn is one of those people that if you don't like him, there's probably something, something wrong with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's something you wrong know? with you for sure. Yeah, like uh, he and Sam are yeah, awesome. Yeah, they're, they're awesome. But, uh, but again, you know, between my regular J-O-B and, and doing all this other stuff with B2 grappling and refereeing and the academy in Indiana, I try to get mad time as much as I can. You know, and again, dad, now my daughter's on a swim team and she started to compete more. And, you know, that also takes a toll. And her practices are now like two, three hours long. And it just is challenging, oh, yeah. but I got to find the time, you know. But you always come back to jujitsu. Awesome always, part. man. Always, you know. I, and this is what's interesting. You know, Kayla Harrison, who's the you know, Olympic gold medalist judoka. She trains at American Top Team for her MMA fights now. When she retired from officially, you know, doing judo, she said something that, you know, hit to heart with me. And she says, judo, I love you, but I got to break up with you. 
and it just wow. the rules have changed so much and mm. the politics have evolved to something that is just not conducive to what i experienced for judo you know and uh i still love judo i i, I enjoy it um but there's nothing gentle about judo yeah that's the judo's rough man my knees are shot you know my fingers are crooked and shot and you know it's just i still like it though you know you yeah. can do foot sweeps a lot of foot sweeps but you know it's uh yeah it's definitely I, not I gentle go back to jiu-jitsu every time as much as i can really yeah dude that's awesome well dude we've gone a solid hour and a half we got class getting ready out yeah, here yeah we got it um, um carlos Thank you so so much for the time. Oh man, my yeah, pleasure. Guys. It's been an like, absolute pleasure. So, but um, go ahead and please plug B two again. The event, um, where people can find it. Just and where, as we where close can out. people find you, um, guys? People can find me on Instagram, Carlos Diaz. Um, my handle is I have at to look at Los, yeah, Los Diaz. at Los Diaz twenty five thirty one. There we go. Uh, Facebook, Carlos Diaz. I think there's about three million of us out there, but I'm the only one with a gi and you know, the American <laughs> Top Team logo behind it. And, uh, you know, b2grappling.com is our website. Um, smooth, we're, the registration is already open on smoothcomp.com. And the, the, the event is going to be on November 14th at the Florida Mall Convention Center. Okay. So register now. We're going to get your matches. You know? 55 even, bucks. Even if I have that. to put the gi on and let you beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Carlos, thank you so much. We thank you, guys. It. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on.